When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years, and he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. On 9-11, our nation made a commitment to never forget. Since then, it's been the Tunnel to Towers Foundation honoring those words with action. So many people gave their lives while saving others on 9-11. Tunnel to Towers carries forward that legacy of courage and heroism by honoring our country's military and first responder heroes, people who are willing to die for you and me. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Oh boy, we've got another fantastic episode of Moon Knight to talk about. Plus, oh, it's been a week since I saw Morbius and y'all have been asking me what I thought about it and I've been depressed every time I've had to talk about it, okay? I'm not going to talk your ear off. I just want to tell you about it. I want to talk about this episode. Let's just get into it. This is your new episode of Reality and Comics 2, All Things Moon Knight. Let's do it. right you're listening to reality and comics 2 the podcast that discusses all things scripted and unscripted tv and film i'm kendrick but most of you know me as your mama's favorite black geek you want some hot takes about the real housewives or love island or maybe you just want some extra insight on the scarlet witch or the marvel cinematic universe well you're in the right place grab a cocktail sit back and prepare to cuss and fuss right along with me Woo! Lord, 
Lord, Lord, Lord, why won't the work week end? I don't know why I felt like this has been the longest work week in history. I'm recording this episode on a Wednesday. And I just feel like it's been Wednesday for about six weeks now. I don't know what the hell is going on, but I'm ready for the weekend. I haven't been, I don't think I've been sleeping the best this week. I don't know what it is. You know what? I haven't really been sleeping good since Moon Night premiered. I ended up, I wasn't feeling well the past Tuesday, so I stayed, you know, I went to sleep right after I got off work. I didn't work overtime that week because I've been working 12-hour days pretty much every day. But I work from home, so don't feel bad for me. It's it's okay. Uh, But I, I wasn't feeling well that day, so I went to sleep after work, and then I woke up. I obviously couldn't go back to sleep for a little while later, so I ended up staying up to watch the premiere of Moon Night. Now it's the second week. I woke up around four-ish in the morning. And I'm just like, I don't know why I'm up. I don't know why I'm not feeling. I was super tired too, like early. So I guess I went to sleep kind of early. I don't know. It, it, it doesn't matter. But I ended up watching Moon Night at like five in the morning. It was super weird too. But I fucking loved the episode, okay? So I, I don't even feel right watching Moon Night during the day anymore. I just watch it when it's pitch black outside. That makes me feel good. It's nummy in my tummy. I love everything about it. You know what I didn't love though? Morbius. Let me tell you why. Because I feel like y'all have probably been hearing a lot of things about this movie. And you're probably wondering what makes Morbius so bad. This might end up being a hot take kind of. But Morbius, I don't think is bad in the sense of, man, that was just a terrible movie. I never want to see that again. Yada, yada, yada. You know, when you when you think of a bad movie, you can name some bad movies. The problem with Morbius for me is, I think Morbius was incredibly forgettable. There was nothing groundbreaking about Morbius. There was nothing innovative about Morbius. Morbius was another vampire movie. And if you've seen one, you've seen them all. That's just, I mean, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's nothing to write home about it. It's nothing you're going to recommend your friends, you know, to go see. You ain't going to be calling about it. Girl, I saw Morbius. I'm going to see it again. No, the fuck you not. You go try to call AMC to get your goddamn money back from the first time you had to watch it. Of course, they're not going to give it to you because your ass sat through the whole damn movie. But I'm just telling you, you don't need a second viewing of this movie. The movie, oh, I don't even know what to say. So let me just take it kind of bit by bit. Morbius was bad because I feel like you could mostly predict every single thing that happened in this movie. Oh my God, it's going to work. He's going to become a vampire. Duh. Oh my God, the girl, she's going to be a love interest for multiple people. Oh my God, they're best friends. He's going to want to get fixed too. He should take the vampire shit. Oh God. It's just, you listening to it and it's like, uh, you, you sitting in the theater and it's like, I'm here, but why am I here? I mean, okay, I will give them credit, though. They didn't sit there and try to make this a three-hour movie. I appreciate that. When you know the shit ain't that good, have me there for an hour and a half, an hour 45 tops. Don't have me there for no damn three hours talking about this the best movie I'm going to see in life, okay? Everything ain't the Batman. Now, the Batman, I'll watch them three hours all day long. Zack Snyder, uh, uh, Justice League, I'll watch that all day long. Endgame, I'll watch that all day long. I'm not watching three hours of no damn Morbius. So good thing y'all knew this needed to be under two hours because you would have tried it and you would have tried me had it been any longer than an hour 45. Luckily, it wasn't. So that's good. 
Let me lift them up before I completely tear them down, though. Matt Smith was incredible. Y'all know Matt Smith. He was Doctor Who. He was in The Crown, which is one of my favorite shows. I don't know. I don't know why I love The Crown so much. I love The Crown. I feel like there hasn't been a season of The Crown that I have not just loved. I love The Crown. I don't know. I just it just you know those shows that just feel expensive. Like you know you watch Game of Thrones. You like this some expensive shit. Even though I can barely rewatch Game of Thrones because they ruined that last season so damn bad. There are certain episodes I go back and watch all the time, but I can't, I don't know that I almost can't watch this show all the way through anymore just because I know how badly I'm going to hate that last season. I digress. Matt Smith was amazing. And he was the best thing about this movie, his performance, his, uh, him, that little dancing scene he had, it was so cringe, but it was so likable that it was just like, you know what? A for effort. I love that. You were the best thing about this. Now, let me get into all the other shit because everything else is pretty much bad. I won't say that Jared Leto was a bad Morbius. He was a good Morbius, but he definitely don't need that director, writer, producer, company. He don't need none of that no more. If we never see Morbius again, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised in the slightest bit. We'll probably never see Morbius again. I I just feel like nobody after seeing this movie is going to remember that they loved Morbius or hated Morbius. Nobody's going to be fiending for the next time. Like when I left Shang-Chi, I was like theorizing, okay, when's the next time I'm going to see Shang-Chi? Am I going to see him pop up in something else? Who would it make sense for? Like, will we get like an Iron Fist appearance? Like what's going to happen? Like I'm wondering about Shang-Chi. I'm wondering about all of it, but I'm not wondering, even the Eternals, I know The Eternals was a polarizing movie for a lot of you. Some of you absolutely loved it. Some of you thought it was too slow, not enough action. I love Chloe Zhao's uh, like storytelling. I love the way she puts together a movie. So I really, really like The Eternals. Even that movie, I was thinking like, okay, when would it make sense for Angelina Jolie or Icarus? Or, well, I don't know about Icarus. He's dead ass. But, you know, when would it make sense for... Uh, Druig or Makari to pop up again and for me to be super invested. I'm invested in uh, the Black Knight. You know, I'm invested in all of that. So I left out of Morbius thinking, you know what? If these characters got hit by a bus collectively in the next movie and we never saw them again, I'd be okay with that. I don't think I'd give a damn. But let me tell you how I know that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen because of those stupid as post credit scenes. Let me tell you something. I don't know why Marvel, it well, uh, let me say, I don't know why Kevin Feige trusted the people over at Sony to put together some, uh, some post credit scenes that would flow into the other MCU movies like they did. Those were the two dumbest goddamn scenes I've ever seen before. They didn't make no damn sense. I'm going to ruin it for y'all. I, if you haven't seen it and for some odd reason you still plan on seeing Morbius, then cover your ears or skip forward a little bit. But they try to, you know, they're, obviously they're tying into the multiverse. And so Michael Keaton, who was all in the trailer, you know, got us thinking he was in a movie. He was not in the movie. He was in the post credit scenes. So they used him to fill some seats. He was not in that damn movie. So if you're just a diehard Michael Keaton fan and looking to see a lot of him uh, say you got damn money, he pops up in a jail in Morbius's universe, which I'm guessing is in the Andrew Garfield Spider-Verse. I don't 
see that's I left out of the theater not knowing what Spider Verse this was in, so that makes it even more stupid. But I oh boy. The fact that that scene he pops up, I know it's the multiverse because the sky is cracking, you know, all the kind of stuff, just like it did in Spider Way No Man Home, just like it does in the visuals that we've seen from the the mini Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, all of those promos. So we know what it looks like when the multiverse is coming, but the way that happened, it made no sense. It was so stupid. And then you get to the second one. It looks like a car commercial. I'm guessing Sony is so goddamn hard-pressed for cash, I guess, that they got to make everything look like a damn commercial. And then Morbius meets with uh, Adrian Toomes and... They they ask is planning I guess the sentence of six I don't it's it's so stupid go see Morbius if you want to if you don't I promise you won't miss much I went and saw it out of obligation because I'm so paranoid right now that I won't that I'll miss any kind of little reference in Doctor Strange when I go see it in May that I'm trying to consume all things Marvel I'm like in season four of my agents of shield watch. Cause you know, I haven't, that's one thing that I never got into. So I'm going back. I'm rewatching that as seven seasons seasons. I'm in season four currently. So y'all pray for me. Hope that I make it through this next month. The last two seasons are nearly as long of seasons as the other ones, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it through. So it's, I, the way it's looking, I think I can make it. I don't really know. Anyway, I spent too much time on Morbius. These 10 minutes that y'all just got on Morbius is way more than you need to get to that damn movie. So, without further ado, let's get into episode two of Moon Knight. We ended last week's episode of Moon Knight with him beating the hell out of that jackal at the museum, fucking them people's bathroom up. Not in a, you know, man, I gotta go, you know, I've been holding this deuce for, <laughs> not deuce, I've been holding this number two for a while kind of way, not that, I mean, literally smashing and throwing sinks and everything, but now he's back in bed, restrained as usual, and it's not Mark, but we're back to being Stephen Grant. After a moment of kind of like, you know, taking the time to do some self-actualization, a little self-realization, he heads to the museum and he sees all that caution tape around the bathroom. He encounters that uh, security guard that always gets his name wrong and goes with him to view the footage, thinking that, you know, it'll, it'll kind of validate everything that he's been saying that happened to him. You know, the jackal chased me, it did this, yada, yada, yada. When they start looking at that footage, they show him running and escaping nothing child not a damn thing steven this is the steven that we know from comics okay the one always locked in a damn mental institution and trying to escape and seeing the guards as other creatures and and saying you know we got to get out of here but it's really just the the psych wards coming to get them that steven that mark that jake okay they notice that when he leaves the bathroom on the footage it's actually mark And he takes a second to kind of just stop and look directly into the camera, knowing that he's like, okay, I know you're going to look at this. I know you're the good boy. I know you're going to try to look at this footage. Nah, motherfucker, it's me. I did it. You ain't did shit. It makes us kind of, it leaves us wondering, you know, like when you read the comic books, what's real and actually what's fake. Like, were you actually fighting a jackal? Was the jackal just invisible like we saw in this episode? What was happening? Is your mental state constantly, like, you know, is it being even more fractured? What the hell is happening 
to Steve Grant. Child, Stephen got to sit down with HR, human resources. They concerned about him. And hell, they saying that the colleagues are worried about him too. Mr. HR man gives him a pamphlet and he recommends some doctors that he can actually go and talk to. Now see, look, I meant previously, I, I mentioned previously that I'm reading the Marvel Unlimited exclusive run of the new Moon Knight comics, and he's institutionalizing those, which makes me wonder if he'll wind up in the same circumstances within these six episodes. I don't know. I'm just kind of curious because, or maybe that's, I keep thinking that's how the show's going to end. I feel like it's all going to lead up to all this being a big illusion and he'll be locked. I don't know. I don't want to ruin nothing. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? I love that he tells him that, you know, you're not alone. You know, meaning he's got a friend in him. Child, Steve, like, no shit. That's the damn problem. If Conshu and, and Mark and Jake and Sasha Fierce and Roman Polanski would leave me the fuck alone, we wouldn't be in this damn situation. <laughs> Hell. Yeah, he, he even took that man's damn name tag. Now, that's some petty shit. You could have let him keep that $2 ass name tag. You didn't have to take that from him. Poor Steven. Oh, what is a man to do now? Now Steven is outside the museum again, doing his favorite thing, talking to the golden statue man all about his life problems. I haven't mentioned previously because, you know, I don't, well, I don't think I've mentioned previously. I might've said it in the first episode. I don't know. But the man that he's talking to, the golden statue, like street performer, is a comic book character named Crowley, who in the run that I'm reading now that I just mentioned, he's actually another patient in the mental facility with him. And he like helps Mark to devise a plan to help him, uh, Mark and a couple of other inmates, not inmates, child, what are they called? Patients. <laughs> they might as well be inmates with all the, the goddamn crimes they commit in this damn book. But he helps them to like come up with a plan to escape, even though he's a fellow patient. He is in Steve tells him everything and ends up hyping himself up to go down the rabbit hole and to figure out what that damn key and what that damn phone that he found in his apartment last episode, what they mean. He ends up going to multiple storage places, like, you know, where they have all the storage units that you can rent. You know, when people moving from houses where you got to stay with your mama for like three weeks because your new apartment won't be ready to the third, but they put your ass out on the 13th of this month. So you got to, you know, that kind of shit. He wants one of those storage units and one of the security guards actually recognizes him like on his sixth visit. I think it was no matter child recognize him no matter how many names he got. Steve opens that storage unit and it looks like a military grade bunker in there. There's guns, there's a bag with money and a passport, a cot that he could sleep on, binoculars in the background. It's all kind of shit in there. Child, I think Tupac was living in that damn storage unit for a minute. He starts looking through one of those bags, disgusted, because he comes across uh, an escape bag, you know, the one that has the cash and the guns and passport. Like you need, if you know you a damn mercenary, basically. He also finds in that bag, the scarab, the damn scarab that almost got his ass whooped in last episode. If it wasn't for Mark, suddenly he hears Mark talking to him in a reflection in the wall, who is, you know, trying to convince him to just go up to that little cot over there. Just take you a little nap and let me finish what I started. Steve said, ah, ah, I need more answers than that. And Mark finally reveals that, He's an avatar of the Egyptian moon god, Khonshu, like I explained in the last episode. 
or like they kind of explained in this, but you know, they, this is the first time we're hearing the word avatar and that's kind of important. If you're unfamiliar with what an avatar is when it relates to religion, it's basically an earthly representation of whatever God that you serve. It's usually going to be like a living creature, like a human or an animal, something like that. But of course, you know, if Mark is an avatar, then that kind of means that Steven is an avatar for Khonshu too, whether Khonshu wants it to be or not, okay? They're, they're there to deliver Khonshu's justice. They got to protect the vulnerable, vulnerable, quote unquote, vulnerable people at all costs. He keeps talking about a deal that he's made with Khonshu in which we learn about, you know, Marty in the episode, how, you know, I got to do this, I got to do that, then my debt will be paid, so-called debt will be paid. I don't think that debt will ever be paid. We ain't never seen it paid in comics, so I doubt we see it paid in the MCU. Steven hates everything that he's hearing. So he says that he's taking that little mercenary bag with the money and the guns and the passport. He said, I'm going to take it to Homeland Security and I'm going to let them arrest me because I, I don't need to be just walking free among the people. I know that's right. You're a better man than me. I would have just went to fuck home, but that's me. He leaves and child... Khonshu is waiting for that ass in the hallway with those flickering lights, just like those flickering lights in the hallway of his damn apartment. So we're seeing a pattern here. Steve takes off running and he trips when by the time he gets to the street and he's almost hit by a motorcycle driven by Layla. Now remember, Layla, this is the woman who called him uh, constantly the last episode when he had found their phone who I said must be like the comic book character Marlene. Now, Marlene in the comics, notice his love interest, his girlfriend. You know, he's just so infatuated and obsessed with Marlene. So I'm assuming that Layla is taking on that role here. I'm guessing she might be an amalgamation of a couple of characters. I don't know. We haven't seen yet. But regardless, this is his boo. Layla lets his ass have it. She gets in that ass like an animal, baby. She gets in that ass like a thong. During that rant, this is when we find out that they're actually married and that Steven is faking that damn accent. Now, that is funny to me because I don't know how many of y'all have said how much you hate that damn accent. Y'all are like, Oscar Isaac is the best actor in the world, but that accent has got to go. Listen, they said that the accent is for a reason. And I'm starting to think it's because, you know, we we got to... <laughs> I think Layla is going to be the reason... Uh, the reveal kind of why that's a fake ass accent. Cause at some point she gonna tell him, look, drop that accent. You really Mark. I don't know what the hell you're doing with that. I don't know though. All of the speculation we'll find out soon enough over the next month. They wind up in Steven's apartment and Layla come in, knows it looking all around. Mark is in a reflection of the fish tank. And he starts saying that she shouldn't be there. Obviously, he doesn't want her involved in any of the shenanigans that him and Steve got going on. Now, keep in mind, when she called last episode, she was asking for Mark. So clearly, that's the one who she's in a relationship with, in a relationship with, which it kind of shows how this show is going to flip the comics on his ass because usually she's in a, a relationship with Stephen Grant, quote unquote, the billionaire even though we know that Stephen Grant on this show ain't no damn billionaire. He far from it. But, you know, we'll deal with that another day. Hell, I will be too. Give me the billionaire in today. Burke at me, please. What did Carisha say? I could spend mine, but I'd rather spend his. I know the fuck that's right. She's starting to notice little things that they have in common, like poetry. 
So he loves all of her favorite things, which might have been Mark listening to all of this, you know, during all this time that him and Layla were together and internalizing it, all of this as a way to kind of craft Steven's personality. That's super complicated, I know, but that's just how things might crumble. After more talking in circles about languages and other stuff that they have in common, Layla ends up getting annoyed and she whips out the divorce papers that apparently Mark had sent her. He told her that they needed to move on after, quote unquote, after everything. Steven is confused, so he starts, you know, kind of spilling his soul. And despite what Mark says, he wants to show her the contents of that mercenary bag. I keep calling it a mercenary bag because you know the one I'm talking about. The money, the guns, the passport. He stops, though, but it's way too late because, you know, he kind of comes to a senses thinking, well, I don't want to really involve her in this. But now Layla grabs that bag and she pulls out that scarab that, according to her, they've been looking for forever. She flips out, but he's like, take it. I don't want this shit. He's been trying to kill me behind this damn scarab. I don't want to take it. Last time he had it, it was a whole damn village chasing out this ass, and they tried to kill him because Ethan Hawke's character, Eric, uh, whose name is Arthur Harrow, told him to. Once she realized that he might just be telling her the truth, they're actually interrupted by a knock on the door. Two police officers, a black woman and a white man, they barge their way in, just push their damn way in, and start looking around. He thinks it's about the incident at the museum, obviously. I mean, like, why else would they be there to arrest him? But ah, ah. thankfully, Layla, before they actually barged in, had climbed out of the window, like, onto the roof to where she couldn't be seen. She had the scarab in hand, so they couldn't take it. When they do look around and they find that fake passport with the name Mark Spector on it, they know his name is Stephen Grant, so they advise him to come with them. They take him into custody and say, best if you come with us. He's thinking that they're going to take him to the police station, but they've got other plans. While en route, the black police officer brings up his file, you know, the file on Mark Spector, and she refers to him as an international fugitive. According to her, he was a part of this like team of mercenaries that hit a dig site in Egypt and killed some archaeologists like execution style, meaning that he like tied them up, uh, facing away from them, gun to the back of the head, pow. In comics, though, Mark is like merely witnessing what's happening, and it's actually his colleague that does the killing. They finally pull up to like this community and they tell him to hold on while they go handle something. He looks outside. He sees a girl like playing soccer, I think, but he notices that she has a tattoo on her wrist and it's the same tattoo that Arthur Harrow had when he was judging people. Soon enough, Arthur Harrow comes and he gets some and he uncuffs some and he takes them around the community. Before the tour starts, though, Arthur knows that Stephen can see Khonshu like right in that moment, which he can, and that he's telling him to hurt Arthur, which he was. Side note, I love that Arthur Harrow asks the question that Moon Knight fans wonder quite often when they're reading the comics. He asked, I wonder if Khonshu chose you because mentally you're easy to break or because you're already broken. Child, that was a read, a goop, and a gag, okay? <laughs> Steven ain't said shit wrong with me. You know, I, I'm just saying, besides the badass English accent. You know what, Steven, he could have worked with 
Tom Holland to get that English accent together. He could have worked with Benedict Cumberbatch, Andrew Garfield, somebody. I don't know. I can't really explain it. I'm sorry. Every time I think Tom Holland, I think about that little boss. You know what? Let me move on. As they're walking around, I'm not going to lie. The community that he's showing him is quite wonderful, okay? I wouldn't mind living there if it didn't have that religious, fanatical element about it, okay? They grow their own vegetables. They learn three languages apiece. That'll come in handy on a college application. Crime is basically non-existent. I mean, it's the perfect place. Arthur even, you know, he round there making, he he the hood chef boy RD making lentil soup, child. <laughs> Steven got him a big ass bowl of that lentil soup and just tried to, you know, ignore the fuck out of Conchu who was blowing wind and knocking shit over off of tables because he mad, throwing a damn temper tantrum like he ain't got no damn home training. Even though Arthur can no longer hear Conchu, they're basically having like a good old fashioned comic book type back and forth using Steven as their go between, their middleman. Conchu makes it clear that he only punishes people. After the evil has been done, unlike Amit, who basically says, I know you for your works and I know you will fuck up at some point. So I'm going to go ahead and punish and kill your ass right now. They're having to like basically, basically paint the picture for the fans as to why these two gods are so different and why there are two different, well, not even bases, a base of people and then one person worshiping each of these gods. Arthur starts talking about how he used to be Khonshu's avatar. Now, ain't that a big switch? Before Steve or Mark was, he was, quote unquote, the fist of vengeance. Child, I thought that was a damn Iron Fist reference at first. I had to go searching. I was looking all all through my damn uh, Marvel Encyclopedia, through uh, Fandango, all kind of shit. Hey, Danny Rand. It wasn't, though, just so y'all know. If y'all haven't watched Iron Fist, I, I don't know if you need to watch the defenders instead. I didn't mind iron fist so much, but boy, Oh boy, did the masses hate it. I, I didn't mind it so much. I like the, uh, the Prince of flowers. I think that's what his name was on game of Thrones. Y'all know who the hell I'm talking about. Anyway, off track again, Arthur tells him about Amit and why she needs to be resurrected instead of trusting Khonshu. All of this just to bring up that damn scarab again. But remember, he doesn't have the scarab anymore. Layla now has a scarab. I hope her ass still ain't sitting on top of that damn roof waiting for that man to come back to that damn apartment, child. Side note, I love when Steven says, isn't Amit judging an innocent person as if uh, like if they haven't done anything wrong yet? Because technically at that point, they're still innocent. They haven't done any damn thing, so he's right about that. But then he says, I think about killing my boss all the time, but I've never done it. I would never do it. Child, listen. <laughs> I've had a wholesome... Look, I didn't had a worsome ass uh, boss who pretends to be wholesome and all this kind of stuff make them kind of passive-aggressive ass digs and stuff in the past. One or two of them. So listen, that's relatable content. Have I thought about Kicking that ass down the steps. I have, but that's in the past. I'm not there anymore. I'm Wu Sign. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to trying to not be Wanda Maximoff in real life. I'm trying to be a little more like who's a good, like Glenda the Good Witch, not the Scarlet Witch. Okay, even though I'm Team Wanda in all things, that's neither here nor there. They really start getting into like a back and forth 
about the kind of philosophical elements of their religious, you know, the Egypt gods and all of that. But ultimately, Arthur just wants the damn scarab. He shows Stephen the power in his walking cane. Now, look, he can open up portals in the floor when the color. OK, it's very important. The color of magic that you saw on the floor. Didn't it look like Agatha Harkness's from WandaVision? See, I told y'all, remember during my uh, WandaVision episodes, I used to tell y'all all the time, the color of magic is very important. The color of magic is very important. The color of magic is very important. Remember Wanda, she had that red kind of magic that's chaos energy. Agatha had the dark, uh, bluish, purplish kind of magic that was dark magic, the same kind that he had. Listen, it's all important just to... Just pay attention, okay? He can open up portals on the floor using this dark magic and release them evil-ass jackals that have been chasing Steve since episode one. Child, Layla then came off that damn roof and popped up in these people community with that damn scarab and told Steven to keep it safe. She kept trying to tell him, summon the suit, summon the suit, but he had no idea what the hell she was talking about. So they ran. All while this man trying to summon a jackal creature animal thingy to send after him that only he can see, by the way, it's invisible. They find a safe space, lock that damn door, and Layla tries to remind him about the suit. Of course, she's referring to the Moon Knight costume that you probably know from promos or from comic books, however you know this character, but he still has no idea. Finally, you can hear, you know, you can hear that, uh, that the mark again in the background, but he refuses still at this point to turn over power to him. Once that jackal breaks through the door that only he can see, he gets pushed out the window and does a failed, failed superhero landing. You should have been working with Natasha Romanoff while she was alive, but he lands as Mr. Knight, the man in the suit. Now, see, this is hilarious because Mark and Layla were trying to tell him to turn into Moon Knight, who wears like the ceremonial armor of Khonshu, but he put on this damn all-white suit like I wore to my senior prom in 2007, okay? Don't try to count back. You don't need to know how old I am, okay? He had on this suit like Nene Leakes had on during their Real Housewives of Atlanta reunion when she said, now, why am I in it? Now, see how I get thrown and stuff? I ain't even did nothing. See, I like that, though. Now, a little bit of background behind Mr. Knight. In comics, he's basically a lot more, well, not more chill, but he's basically a detective. He uses, like, the same skill set and abilities as Moon Knight, the Moon Knight that we know, but he's more boots to the ground. He's trying to figure out why something has happened. Are you looking for a cheap way to support your favorite content creator? You know who I'm talking about, the content creator that you happen to be listening to now. Yes, guess what? I'm on Buy Me A Coffee, or in my case, Buy Me A Beer, okay? Go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash realitycomics2, the number two this time. Yeah, they said it was too long, yada, 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 whatever. Listen. I work hard to put out these two podcast episodes every single week to run the Instagram account, to do the polls, the stories, the uh, 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 everything else in between. Any support that you guys give me, I always appreciate. So if you're tired of uh, me constantly soliciting uh, ratings and reviews, then just buy me a coffee. I love you for it. Mwah!
Invisible Jackal isn't too far behind, and him and Moon Knight are having a drag-out, knockout fight, Bad Girls Club style. Y'all remember when Megan grabbed Rima from behind and whooped her and Fallon's ass at the same damn time? It isn't until the Invisible... Why did I just throw it out there? I don't know. It isn't until the Invisible Jackal starts getting at Layla that he agrees to hand over control back to Mark. But not before getting a little too confident and uh, using his whole back and rotating his whole hip to throw a punch at that damn jackal. I know that's right, Steve. Once he lets Mark take control, the real Moon Knight costume comes out and we get a brilliant Marvel action scene that Moon Knight fans everywhere rejoiced while watching. He leads him off of a building and he impales that jackal on the spike of a nearby church. Damn, that's a good ass scene. Now Mark is back in control and Steven is the one locked on the inside. Steve is freaking out because he's not used, you know, to being, you know, conscious while he's on the inside. But now this wall that used to be between them, according to Mark, is no more. So I guess this is why now Steve is a little more conscious than he used to be. Little side note, it's important to note that we see Arthur now has the scarab as Moon Knight dropped it during that battle. And he got it from a homeless man and he judges the homeless man that hands it to him. And of course, as is Amit's way, he dies right then and there. Steven and Mark argue because Steven vents about Mark ruining his life and how he abandoned Layla, his wife, and etc., etc., until Mark finally gets pissed off and starts kicking and breaking that glass. Khonshu shows up and directly references Mark Spector's origin from the comics. He says, you were nothing more than a corpse when I found you. He's referring to the origin story where Mark fought the colleague that I mentioned earlier, you know, the one who killed the archaeologist, but he was left for dead basically in the desert. He manages to like get to the statue of Khonshu outside of some temple and he ends up dying, but he ended up being revived without a scratch on him, all because this was Khonshu's will. Basically, Khonshu brought him back to life. Thus, the eternal debt that he owes to this damn God. Okay, back to the end of the episode though. Mark convinces Khonshu that he'll figure out a way to get that scarab back from Arthur Harrow. Keep in mind, the whole reason Arthur Harrow wants this scarab is because he's trying to, uh, you know, resurrect Amit, but they have to find her tomb first. And that scarab, as you saw, Mark used it, I don't know if it was the last episode or this one, but he you know, it came off the thing and it flew around. So it was a compass. Oh yeah. When he was in the, the bunker, the bunker that Tupac was living in, he, uh, <laughs> he had that, it, it, it went around. It was like a compass, but it wasn't facing North. It was all kind of stuff. So they know that that's how they'll find Amit. We find out more about the deal between Mark and Khonshu, where if Mark ever stops serving Khonshu, his replacement is going to be Layla. Suddenly, Khonshu takes Mark back to Egypt. Child, in my mind, I kept thinking that they were already there because I knew this show was being set in Egypt, but I keep forgetting that they in London and then he pops up in other places. And okay, listen, it's it's a lot to keep up with this show, but I love it. Okay, I, I, I wouldn't change it for a thing. The thing is, we actually see him on the floor getting drunk. Now, I don't know if this is Mark's style. We know definitely... It's not Steven style. So maybe we're actually getting a glimpse 
of the other personality I told you about, Jake Lockley, that cab driver that, you know, he goes around, he does his own little thing. So maybe we're going to introduction to him now that we've met, let's see, we've met Moon Knight, we've met Steven, we've met Mark, we've met Mr. Knight. So maybe in this third episode, we're going to get a little Jake Lockley. You know, I mean, might as well meet all the personalities. I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't make the rules. I just report it. Shit, hell, I don't know. Listen. I'm loving Moon Knight so far. What are you guys thinking about it? Is it too confusing for you? Do you love the journey? Is it like a a male version of WandaVision where you don't know what the hell is happening week to week, but you're liking the ride? I kind of liken it to that because it, you know, WandaVision was very different. We didn't know what the hell was going on. We all experienced it together. And it kind of feels the, you know, the same because they're all different from the show. Wanda had a lot more connectivity to the MCU than, uh, Moon Knight has, but obviously it's going to connect, so we don't have to worry about that, but I don't know. I'm loving it so far. I'm loving all these performances. Ethan Hawke is amazing. Oscar Isaac is amazing. Layla, you cool. <laughs> we ain't seen much of it yet, but what I saw in this episode, I liked. Let me tell you something, though. Y'all been dogging Layla's ass, okay? Layla ain't did nothing to y'all, okay? Y'all sent up the judge and that lady. That lady ain't did nothing to y'all. Give Layla a chance. She got four more damn episodes to well not impress y'all but she not already filmed the shit but let that lady live okay she ain't did none of y'all and on that note i'm getting the hell out of here bye oh wow you sat through that entire episode well aren't you special you deserve a treat why don't you head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Podchaser or CastBox and leave me a five-star rating and review for free. Need to contact me? Email me at realitycomics2 at gmail.com. Make sure you follow me on Instagram for hilarious memes and up-to-date information about the podcast. That's at realitycomics2, T-O-O. This is Kendrick, and I'll see ya. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.